How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast. Today we have episode five. Not quite as much to talk about today, but nonetheless excited to talk about what's new uh, throughout all different sports. So I'm going to get kicked off with golf right off the bat. Uh, Last week, if you listened in, you would have heard that the PGA Tour event was in Austin, Texas. And the World Golf Championship Dell Technologies Match Play event, Scotty Scheffler, the former UT Longhorn, won his third event in his last five starts, jumping all the way up to world number one by winning that final match versus Kevin Kisner, four and three, earning himself a nearly $2.2 million payday from those four days in Austin. Uh, Day one of the Valero Texas Open is underway down in San Antonio at the TPC San Antonio Oaks course, and will conclude on Sunday. And then after that, most players will make their way to Augusta, Georgia. And on Tuesday, Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie, flew in Tiger's $63 million Gulfstream jet up to Augusta, Georgia from West Palm Beach, Florida, where they live, to play a private practice round with good friend and fellow PGA Tour player, Justin Thomas. Basically, the main goal was for Tiger to see how he was feeling, making shots and walking the course. Uh, He has yet to make a decision on his status for the most iconic event in golf, but signs are pointing to him participating in the event that he has won five previous times. That event, the Masters, of course, begins April 7th and will conclude April 10th. So this weekend, we got the event, event in San Antonio. Next weekend is the Masters. That payday is going to be near $5 million for the winner of that. But really the most exciting time of the year for golf. We're getting our first major of the year. Um, my pick for the Masters, if I had to guess, would probably be Rory McIlroy. He's played very well as of late, and winning the Masters would complete his career Grand Slam as the Masters is the only major that he hasn't won. But excited to watch it. And that same weekend is the weekend MLB season starts off. Brady, you want to fill us in on the latest updates in that regard? Yeah, baseball's been kind of slow lately, just spring spring training going on. A lot of teams kind of seeing what they have, like I said last week, in their minor league system with their pitching is the big one. Teams want to see what they have in their relief system uh, down in the minors. Uh, the I guess the big news of the week was that Albert Pujols is back in St. Louis for his final season in the majors this year. Um, he's, he's already announced he's calling it a quits after the season. I think it's pretty cool. He's going to finish his, his career in St. Louis where he started it and where he was really the most dominant he, he was in his career, which was – um, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Um, one of the most storied careers in modern baseball history. Um, so really cool that he gets to go back to St. Louis for it. But other than that, I mean, there's not much going on, I guess. We can get a probably into in some, uh, some preseason World Series predictions. Uh, I'm going to have the White Sox come out of the AL. I really like their pitching staff this year. I think they have a sneaky good lineup. really like their relief pitchers. Um, out of the NL, got to go with the hometown team, got to go with the Dodgers. And they're, they're loaded as they've ever been. And I think their pitching is going to get uh, really, really deep come the postseason time with Dustin May getting back from his Tommy John surgery he had last year. He should be back in about July or August. So he'll be he'll be primed and ready to go for the postseason. Um, so I'm going to pick the Dodgers at the NL. Got to go with my team. I'm not going to say who's going to win the World Series. Don't want to make that jinx, but I'm going to definitely pick, take the Dodgers at the NL. I like it. Both teams could definitely get there um, with a good season. My pick will probably be the Blue Jays, a really young up-and-coming roster that don't really have any holes 
across the board. So I'll be looking for them to come out of not only a loaded division in the AL East, but a loaded league in the American League. And then for the National League, I'm going to take a team that's also in the NL West in the San Francisco Giants. Really strong year last year. Um, I don't know if they're going to be consistent enough to do it this year, but I guess we'll find out. I just like taking them. I don't like picking favored teams normally, and I think they'll do really well. But about Albert Pujols, the Cardinals have really been my favorite NL team for really since second grade now, and I've always loved Albert Pujols. I was kind of disappointed when he signed that massive 10-year deal with the Angels, but glad for him to be back in St. Louis for one last year. Uh, should be exciting to see how he does and how the fans take him in. But that's pretty much it. Like Brady said, on the MLB front, we got opening day in a few days or next week. So next week's episode will be on opening day, which will be exciting. We'll have a good bit more to talk about, maybe some matchups that we like to see early on in the season. But as for the college level uh, baseball, Big 12, we had a couple conference sweeps. I believe OU had a sweep over Kansas State and Oklahoma State had a sweep over Kansas. So that is exciting. Oklahoma teams starting 6-0, Kansas teams starting 0-6. A team that's going to travel up to Lawrence this weekend for a series against the Jayhawks is Texas Tech. It took two of three from UT this past weekend, who was ranked number two. And they moved up from 16 to 7 in the national rankings while UT fell all the way to 8. Um, but, yeah, I like what I'm seeing from Tech. They had a midweek sweep a couple of days ago against Stephen F. Austin. And I'm excited for how they're going to continue to build chemistry together with all the new guys and how their pitching will improve throughout the year. Yeah, I've liked what I've seen in terms of their, their ability to respond. Really outside of the UT game, the third one where they lost 12-1, to the bats have done a really good job responding, especially late in games when they're down. They've done a really good job responding and getting back into games. Um, you talk about the heroics, though, in those first couple of games. Uh, I guess I'll start with the first one. Uh, Texas Tech takes a three-one lead early. Uh, all all runs scored up until the when it was three-one, uh, all the way to the seventh run homers. Uh, Texas opens the game with a, with a solo shot on the first pitch of the game. Uh, Tech comes back bottom of the inning. Easton Morrell leadoff bomb. Uh, Jace Young, one batter later, another solo shot, and he he got pretty amped up. He he let UT know he was there and uh, and whose house they were playing in, and then uh, later I think it was the next inning. Yeah, the next inning, Hudson White uh, hits a solo shot, and then Tech bullpen kind of fell apart in the seventh inning, seventh and eighth inning. Gave up a couple sh- uh, solo shots, uh, let up a few runs, four to three, going to the bottom of the ninth. Texas Tech rallies, puts the run on the board, and then. Bottom 10, uh, they hold UT to no runs top 10. Bottom 10, they're, uh, they're two men on, two outs, and Dylan Carter up at the plate, who hadn't hadn't really been hitting the ball well, been kind of going through a cold streak here. Uh, he's 0-2. Well, Kurt Wilson uh, takes off when the relief pitcher, I believe it's something Nixon's, is, I can't remember his first name, his last name's Nixon. Aaron Nixon, maybe? Aaron Nixon, yes, Aaron Nixon. He was just staring down at the ground and, I uh, didn't even see Kurt till he was all the way at the plate, basically. And Kurt Wilson steals home. And uh, just when they can't, can't get any better, uh, game two comes around. And, and boy, it was quite the, uh, quite the storybook ending for him. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, really a back-and-forth game where UT scored two in the top of the first. Tech responded with seven in the bottom of the first. 
and then slowly throughout the rest of the game until the ninth inning, UT was mounting a comeback, scoring a couple runs here and there, and they took a lead all the way 11-7. And then in the eighth or ninth, I can't remember, Tech put four on the board to tie it up at 11, which was crazy. And then UT added a run. It was 12 to 12 going into the 10th. And UT was held scoreless in the top of the 10th. And then we get to the bottom of the 10th and we're building momentum. Parker Kelly has a leadoff double. We get an out and we get a walk, I believe, and then a single. So the bases are loaded. Kurt Wilson comes up and pokes one over the right field fence for a walk off grand slam. It was a definitely the best back-to-back baseball games I've ever seen. Um, probably two of the best tech games I've seen in my time, but definitely exciting, huge for the fan base, for the program, for really everything. I saw a stat today. Tech had 5 million interactions on Twitter. Um, basically. Are you serious? 5 to, million? I believe so. Basically due to. Wow those back-to-back games and all the recognition that they got throughout the country from all the sports writers and reporters. It was, it was not only incredible for the program and a win over UT, but further recognition they got and all in all, it was just awesome. Yeah. You love to have the rivalry rent, the rivalry, rivalry win. Jesus long day today. Um, but no, it's it's great to get the series win over a rival, especially one that's ranked number two overall in the country. And then on top of that, to have them end like the first two games end like that were great, um, or was great rather. Uh, but again, you, you mentioned the series, the mid the midweek sweep against SFA. It's good to see that they're beating up on bad teams like they should. Um, and I think a guy we haven't really talked about much, um, Cody Masters, comes up and hit, he pokes a grand slam yesterday and on Wednesday. And uh, at that point, we found out that he had been in the hospital battling meningitis and something that nobody knew about. Um, I guess he was fighting for his life. So really glad that Cody made it through that. Um, not just because of the baseball team, but, you know, Cody's the fifth year. He's put a lot, put a lot of hard work in. Um, seems like a great person. So really glad to see that he's recovered and that he's back doing what he loves playing baseball and, and uh, let alone contributing for the Red Raiders in a midweek series against, again, we saw Texas lose to was it Colgate. We just saw, We've seen teams lose to to inferior opponents all season. So the fact that Tech is beating up on bad teams is, is really good. Um, but yeah, and then another another marquee matchup this weekend that we saw, uh, I guess outside of Texas Tech baseball, was that out in the SEC, number five, Tennessee, playing number one Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, Tennessee with the with the three game sweep over over Ole Miss, they took over the top spot, and Ole Miss drops all the way at ten. Pretty dominant series victory for Tennessee. Um, did not expect it for sure. I think when we talked about it, when we were sitting at the, at the Tech game on Friday, talking about that series. Um, you know, I, at first I, I thought it was in I thought it was in Knoxville. I was mistaken. It was so it, it was in. Um, we found out afterwards it was, it was in Oxford. And that first game they really put it on them, and the second game they kind of poured it on them again too. And third game they come out with with a, with a close win. So Tennessee really t- taking over the top spot in the country for sure. And they got a they got another road series with Vanderbilt this weekend, which would be interesting. Talk about a gauntlet. So. Man, they, if they come out of that with five wins, book it. Sign, seal, deliver. They're winning the SEC. Yeah, definitely. Like what you're seeing from Tennessee right now. It's cool to see. They got a relief pitcher throwing 102, 103 routinely, which is also pretty awesome. He's crazy. But that's not a whole lot. Uh, I believe 
fourth and fifth ranked teams in the country baseball wise lost this week. So there should be some changes in the rankings when they come out Monday morning. That's about it for college baseball. I'm going to shift to basketball, start off with the NBA. Uh, not a whole lot in terms of like big headlines, really just standings as we wrap up the final two weeks of the regular season. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, we mentioned last week, if they won, that they would have locked up the West, and they did indeed win. Uh, they locked up the number one seed, so they get home court advantage throughout the playoffs, and that's huge. Uh, and then in terms of other teams, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Dallas Mavericks have also clinched playoff bursts in the West, while only the Miami Heat have clinched a berth in the East so far. But like I said, we got two weeks left, so still a lot of time and a lot of shifting in the rankings can happen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of as we close the season here what those West matchups are going to be going to be, and because uh, I know whoever's going to draw Denver, they're going to probably end up the four, the four, the five, or the six. Whoever draws Denver is going to get a rough series because if Jamal Murray is healthy, that team's a lot better with Jamal Murray. Um, yep. So I, I, that's I, most of what I'm looking forward to seeing the West. The East feels the field feels kind of set at least in terms of who. The real contenders are going to be. It's going to be interesting. The matchups will be great. I think we're going to have some really, really good first round matchups again. Something happened last year in the East where we got some really good first round matchups due to the fact that teams were injured in the East a lot that a lot last year too. So um, I think we're going to have a great series. Wherever Brooklyn ends up, they're probably going to be what like a five, a five at the highest. Uh, although I don't know what they're saying yeah, right I now. So. Um, I think they can get to five, or they can even end up at like eight. So whoever they see in round one is going to get a a, a great series. Um, and the same thing in the West for the most part. I think the bottom of the West is really, really bad in terms of those teams. I think there's a bigger talent discrepancy in the West uh, in terms of like those mid, those mid, middle, I guess from the five seed down. Um, yeah. And then the play is going to be a bunch of bad teams. They're going to lose in the first round, Lakers included. Right. Um, but yeah, NBA finals should be interesting. Playoffs should be really interesting this year. I think it's going to be, again, parity teams that traditionally aren't powerhouses winning NBA, you know. Playoff series is great. Um, yeah, so that he's, even as a Laker fan, probably the most successful franchise of all time. I love to see teams that haven't haven't won one before uh, go get one. So I'll be pulling for the underdogs for the most part in the postseason this year. Yeah, I would love to see the lower seeded teams get far in the playoffs. It's always exciting when, just like March Madness, we're going to shift to in a second when the lower seeded teams make it far, kind of not having everything go the higher seeds way, kind of building for some interesting matchups, interesting series, because play five, seven games in a series, it gets exciting when you're having matchups that you don't expect. I mean, everyone's expecting Grizzlies, Suns, Warriors, Nuggets to go far in the West. But if you get a team like New Orleans can make a run or the Timberwolves, it's always exciting when you have that and you're not expecting it. But um, just in the NBA front, Monty Ginobili will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, oh, that that just happened? Yeah, kind of surprised. Live on the he's pod? Gonna, he's going to join right. Tim Hardaway and Swin Cash in the class of 2022. Kind of crazy. I didn't expect Monty to be a first ballot guy. Kind of always a good role player, but never expected that. So that's awesome. Just Spurs fan. That'll be cool to see his induction and the speech and all that, but definitely interested yeah, to see what the rest of that class looks like. 
That's awesome. I, I was, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Spurs fan. I didn't grow up liking the Spurs group, disliking the Spurs of anything, but I think it's really cool for, especially for European players. Um, need more European representation in the Hall of Fame, I think. I think those guys kind of get slept on a little bit. So I'm really glad that Manu got the respect he deserved. That guy was a monster for forever. So that, that's really cool. Um, really glad to see that from him. But yeah, I think, I guess, kind of shift to the March Madness college basketball portion here. I guess we'll start with final four games this Saturday. Uh, national championship on Monday. Nova versus KU with K or K, I guess Villanova versus Kansas uh, with Kansas favored by four and a half in our first game. And then the second game is University of North Carolina versus Duke. Duke favored by four. Probably the most storied rivalry in college basketball history. Coach K's career on the line here. Uh, you couldn't have written up a better storybook. Uh, unless this was the Natty, you couldn't have written up a better story for, for Coach K to, to, to hit this run on. Um, I mean, it should be really good games. I guess I'll start with my first game pick. I'm going to pick Kansas to beat Nova and cover by four and a half with uh, Justin Moore popping the Achilles. I just don't think Nova's going to have a chance. I think they're going to get not Nova's still a great team, but he's their best player. And I think without their best player, I don't know if they stand a chance. Yeah, I like I like Kansas in this game, but I think Nova will cover. I think they'll probably lose by well, the line's four and a half right now. Uh, it'll probably change by like game time. But I think Nova loses by three or four. Um, I think Gillespie will take over down the stretch. And if Kansas, if all of them aren't clicking as a team, that team could kind of be very underwhelming at any given point. Um, it took a Remy Martin breakout game to win their last game. And while they do have a Baji, um, you still need the other guys like McCormick and Brown and all those guys to produce. So I'm still taking Kansas to go to the natty, but I'm picking Nova to cover. Yeah, that's fair. It's kind of crazy that uh, Kansas has a guy who's probably going to finish in the top three in player of the year voting. And he really hasn't had much, that much of an impact. The Remy Martin emergence for Kansas has been, I think, the most unsung story of, the, of, of March Madness so far. Outside of, obviously, St. Peter's is the big story. But the unsung story has been Remy Martin has been dominating for Kansas. Um, doesn't know it's, it hasn't always showed up in the stat sheet for him, but he's been uh, the best player on that team in March, which is crazy to me. Um, sure. So I think if Abaji can, can finally show up, not that he hasn't, it's just I don't know if he's needed to. Um, but if they get a, if they get a big game from him, uh, it could be could be over for for Nova. But I hope it's a good game. I want Nova to win. I would love to see him win. I don't want Kansas to win. But realistically, I think I'm going to pick Kansas. And then uh, I actually I'm going to pick Duke. I'm going to pick UNC to cover plus four. I'm actually pulling for Duke though. I at this point they beat us. I'm not over it yet. It was a week ago today. I'm still not over it. I'm very upset. Very sad. But um, at the end of the day. I'm, I'm going to pull for Duke to beat UNC just because add to the craziness, add to the storybook ending. Um, so, and I, I just, I think they're going to win too. Paolo Bancaro is playing like a man possessed and so is the rest of that team. Um, probably they're, they are definitely playing their best basketball of the year right now. Um, they look dominant against Arkansas, especially in that second half. They look dominant defensively. Uh, so I think they, I think they beat UNC. I think it's close though. I think it ends up being a, a final couple possessions game. All right, I agree in that front. Um, it sucks that if Texas Tech didn't get outscored by nine in the second half of that Duke game and Duke didn't miss for the last nine minutes, then we would 
most likely be in the ones be the ones playing UNC t- tonight, but tomorrow Saturday night. Sorry, uh, but I'm going to pick UNC to win that game. Uh, I think they know what they need to do to beat Duke. They've done it. Um, and I pick them to cover, obviously, with having them winning, and then Kansas playing UNC in the Natty Monday night. I'm going to take Kansas to win that. And I'd say they win by six or so, if I had to guess. I'd pick. Um, man, this is hard. I'd probably pick Kansas, too. They've just been the most complete team so far. Uh, that pick may change depending on how Duke looks against a good UNC team who's also clicking on all cylinders. So um, I guess at the moment, though, I'll pick, I'll pick Kansas. They just have too many guys that can beat you on a given night. Like I said, Abaji has been – I'm not going to say have been ineffective, but he's been largely – average for for his standards and the fact that that's been the case and they've gotten this far i think kansas is gonna win it all at this point yeah i agree um but yeah i mean college basketball wrapping up it'll be done here in three days which will be kind of crazy you know college basketball is something we've had since early november and as we shift to baseball uh as basketball wraps up it'll be interesting to see like um, a lot of players are either declaring for the draft of teams that have lost or are entering the transfer portal to see what they can do, see if they fit better on another team, see if that heightens their chance of being drafted in the coming years. But as for Texas Tech, um, Terrence Shannon Jr. entered the transfer portal. thought he was going to go to Houston as one of his options to play with Kyler Edwards. But former Red Raider Kyler Edwards – is foregoing his final year of eligibility and entering the NBA draft. So kind of shocked by that. Um, don't know if he gets drafted, but with only one year left, you figure it's probably the time is now for him after a solid season being the leader of that Houston team. Yeah, you figure Houston coming off kind of a high here and, and him being a reason that they got back to the to the Elite Eight um, after a big couple, couple of big injuries early on in the season for them. So I think I'm a little surprised. I don't know if Kyler gets drafted. I think he may actually end up coming back to school and going back to UH for one more year. Um, I think a lot of these guys, I think Kevin McCuller, um, a, a similar situation. Like TJ Shannon last year, he he declared and came back. Um, right. So I think he does that. Kevin McCuller declared. I think he does the same thing ultimately. I don't know if the league has a spot for him right now, considering he's got another year. I think they may tell him, hey, go back, play a full season healthy, um, that kind of thing. But I, I think TJ Shannon – Hitting the portal isn't something I'm super surprised by. Uh, he's, I think he's maximized his potential as an offensive player at Texas Tech, personally. Just the way that Mark Adams wants to run the offense and wants to run the team. I, don't, I just don't know if it's conducive to a slasher who kind of needs the ball in his hands. Uh, for, you got to force possessions through him sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just his game. It just, I don't know if that fits what Mark Adams wants to do. If I had to pick right now where he's going to go, I'm going to pick Illinois. He's from Chicago. I think if he, I think he may go back home, closer to home, make one final push for the NBA next year. I think they also a little more conducive for his kind of play. I think just a, a team that has had guys in the past who have who have been dom, dominant teams with with a dominant score. You know what I'm saying? Right. So um, I like that for him. But yeah, like I said, Kevin McCuller uh, declaring for the draft. A little bit surprising to me at least, but probably the right decision for him. Test the waters, see what's out there, see what they say likely comes back for another year and probably declares next year is if I, if I had to guess. He's got yeah. two more years of eligibility. 
I'd love it if he stayed all two, all two years left. But um, at the same time, nobody's earned the chance to go do this more than Kevin McCuller. He was, I, I, I think I texted this to you when, when the news broke. He's, he's the, probably the biggest reason that the program rose from the ashes when Beard left. The, the, the fire that Beard left it in, McCuller was, Kevin McCuller was one of the reasons that they were successful this year. I think his presence drew a lot of attention from uh, transfer portal guys, which we'll hit on in a minute. Um, but, you know, I think he he was a constant, constant uh, you know, force for them this year and a constant, whether he was playing or not. So nobody's earned it more than Kevin McCuller. And and I think if he comes back next year and they make a run, nobody should wear 15 again for the, for the Red Raiders, I don't think. Yeah, it's definitely had a huge impact on not even the roster this year, but the program as a whole ever since he enrolled in 2019. But um, another player for the Red Raiders, Chibuza Agbo, entered the transfer portal. This was to be expected, um, yeah. a five-star, high four-star athlete coming out of high school in 2020. Never really had the role he wanted on this team. Um, this year was mostly due to the transfers that Tech brought in. But, I mean, to be expected, I hope he does really well wherever he decides to transfer to. A guy that can, when he gets hot, he can take over in a game, I believe. Um, but one of those transfers that did come in to the Texas Tech basketball program this past year, Adonis Arms, he announced today that he declared for the NBA draft. Uh, like most of these guys, always been a dream of his, see what he can do on that front. I bet he makes a summer league roster, kind of builds his following there, and then might make a roster. Um, will probably be in the G League most of the time early on, like most people, but I could definitely see him having a role down the road on a roster. Yeah, I think it. Uh, this may be, may be a lazy comparison because he's another Texas Tech guy, um, but maybe a similar path to a, a Mac McClung. Um, definitely not as dominant as Mac was at Tech in terms of volume and points, but uh, I think in terms of level of play, I think Adonis played at just, a high of, just as high of a level as Mac did. Um, I think Adonis is a far better defender. He's a better rebounder. He's, a, he's just a really good athlete. I think he's very conducive to what NBA teams want to do at that at that wing position now. Kind of moving away from the game's kind of moving away from these set point guards, set shooting guards. Set, you got to have a guy who's this tall at shooting guard, this guy small forward, this guy this tall at point guard. I think he is he fits the positionless basketball very well, being 6'5, got really, really good athleticism, can jump real high, get rebounds. Um so I think he he fits the NBA well uh, with his skill set right now. So I think I think you're right. I think he's a G League guy. Um, probably lands on a roster on, on a G League roster for a while, but um, a guy who should definitely have a long pro career, whether that be semi pro, I guess you call G League semi pro, uh, overseas pro, or even in the NBA as a as a as a reserve type of guy. Yep. Um, but that's pretty much it for college basketball that we have for y'all today. Um, in terms of football, really the only thing we have left to discuss is NCAA and NFL. Um, for college football level, this is the time of year where each university is having a pro day really happening anytime in the month of March. Some are happening as late as early April, mid-April, with the draft meeting at the end of April. Um, each player is trying to build their stock that not only players that were invited to the combine, but players that weren't maybe players that are kind of written off players that don't have a good chance of being drafted or having a role in the league. 
really helps build their image by having a pro day and having all these scouts come out. And Texas Tech actually had their pro day today where they had about a dozen or so participants when they only had three guys that were invited to the combine. Um, didn't see a whole lot on the pro day. I saw some 40s. Colin Score, the linebacker transfer, was really impressive today. He ran a 4.6540, which I thought jump off, jumped him. off yeah. to, uh, to scouts. And it looked like there Absolutely. were a good bit of scouts there too. Yeah, I think Tech's got a lot of guys. I think like Demarcus Fields is probably going to be a late round pick, but I think he could be a really, really good special teams player for a team. Um, I think Eric's going to be picked earlier than people think. I think his skill set's unique. Um, some, I mean, we've always talked about it that Eric's always going to get slept on being from a school where he dealt with quarterback issues. But um, you know, I, I like the pro days a lot for just looking at guys that are unknowns. Um, I mean, outside of the Alabamas and the Georges you didn't really see a lot of marquee prospects in these pro days because each school has one to three guys that, are got, that get a combine invite, um, you know, one to five probably more likely, but they get a combine invite and those guys kind of make their, they make their money at the combine, but it's nice to see some of those other guys getting some like Colin Schooler didn't get a combine invite, had a really good pro day today. So he boosts his stock. It, it's like, you said, it's kind of like a last chance for these guys to make an impression on the league, make an impression on scouts. That, hey, like I can, I can contribute at least in training camp. I can contribute. Uh, so it, it, all these guys want to do is make, is make a training camp roster, make an 80 man roster at that point or a 90 right. and, and, and try and get a practice squad spot or get an all, and get a 53 man spot. You know, that's all you can ask for, for these guys are going to go undrafted. So um, nice. Like I said, nice to see that the turnout today at Texas Tech's pro day, looking forward to seeing uh, some other pro days later on for sure for some scouts or I guess rather some draft prospects seeing their scouting profiles kind of change. I think Kyle Hamilton's a guy who had his stock hurt recently by a Probias Pro Day, ran slow. Reported times were between four four fives and like four seven fives. So he's a safety. I hope he's not running a four seven five. I don't think he is. He plays faster than that, I think, on tape. Um but it's interesting to see how how the media reacts to these guys' pro days, whereas I think teams, a lot of top prospects, teams already have pegged on their board for the most part. I think their performance at the combine and pro day don't affect that as much as, as the interviews do. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, if I'm buying the whole Kyle Hamilton at a four, seven, five things, put that out there. I just think he's the best football player in the draft. I'm, I'm not yeah. coming off that. I don't see how he's drafted outside the top five, let alone like the top 10. Um, I feel like he's just, he's so good. Eight, nine, 10. I don't see how his floor is 12. I think. Yeah. I mean, his floor is about to be 12 with Minnesota, right? They need a safety. Harrison yeah. Smith's only getting older. They don't have a guy across from him. So I feel like his floor is 12. He should not be there past like seven. If the Giants are sitting at seven, I guess they have decent safeties. But like, how do you pass on a guy like that? I don't get it. It's right. Crazy. I don't know. Um, definitely something to watch for is his along with a few other guys' stock. Yeah. It fluctuates in the coming weeks before the NFL draft at the end of April. But I feel like if he's there, at 10 or so i could see new orleans trading up um both you imagine safeties. him in that defense malcolm jenkins and marcus mm -hmm. williams are gone marcus williams signed with the ravens malcolm jenkins announced yesterday that he's retiring after 13 seasons um so definitely probably his best fit year yeah. one would be new orleans and that would just be crazy to see yeah i I think a team is going to move up to get him. Like, I think seven could be a move-up spot to get him because I know if, if the Giants stick and pick at five, which 
we've talked about before, man, they may not pick there, maybe a quarterback move up soft, but if they don't, I could see a team moving up to seven. And if the Giants stick and pick at five and want to move back at seven, I could see a team going up to seven and getting Kyle Hamilton after he falls out of the top six, which which I think would be great value. Um, but I guess kind of I guess as we switch towards the NFL here, uh NFL prospect, top prospect that uh, had some really good news from the pro from his pro day, did not perform, but talked on his on his rehab on his ACL. Jameson Williams said he is still ahead of schedule. Uh on schedule, like if we're talking like pure schedule wise, he said he's supposed to be ready for week one. Although he did say he was like, listen, I'm not going to rush myself back. I'm not going to play unless I'm healthy. So, um, but it sounds like he's going to be good to go week one, which is great for his stock, as well as the fact that came out this week that a lot of teams have him as wide receiver one still. So his stock vastly improved at the pro day, which is another reason it's a lot, all about medicals for these teams too. So be interested to see how Andrew Booth's medicals check out at Clemson's pro day too this week or this week or next week. Yeah, I believe, I, I think them and they're one of the last ones, I believe. Yeah, I know so, they're late usually. Yeah, definitely something to see. Um, should be a top 15 pick. I saw a report by a couple of different uh, sites that we could have a run on receivers early on, and some receivers I could be going a lot earlier than people are thinking. I, like, I mean, 10, 11, 13, 15, or 16, 17, those are all – 18 are all potential receiver spots. I think the only pick that isn't there is y'all's pick at 14, which could be a move spot. Team can move up right. and get a receiver there. So I think the run on receivers could be crazy this year. I think you're right. Yeah, I'd, I'd love it. Um, pushing other players at other positions down the board for the Ravens personally. So I always like to see that. Um, but, yeah, that's it on that Jamison Williams report and his – um, update on his rehab but in terms of other draft news the Panthers GM Scott Fitter said that at some point you have to take a shot especially in the top 10 when he was talking about drafting quarterbacks a little something I saw earlier um, definitely something to watch for as they're picking at six overall a very high value pick a team with no long-term answer at quarterback could definitely take the first quarterback off the board or could trade up to two to ensure that they're taking the first quarterback off the board. So some definitely watch out for and could definitely shake up mock drafts that have been done through the, to this point. I just think they're the only team that would move up to two. Like who, who's going to two to get, to get what? Right. To get, if you, if you move up from six, you're not giving up a whole lot. Mm-mm. Whereas I mean, you're probably going to give up capital, but still it's not, I guess, I guess it's not more than what other teams give up from 18 with the New Orleans or 20 with, I mean, going from 20 to two for the Steelers would be crazy. So, right. I think it has to be Carolina. 18 or 20 to two is like a franchise altering move basically for the next three, four years. You're talking more than teams gave up for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson just to. I mean, look what, look what San Francisco got, gave up to get to three last year from 12. That's nine spots. I mean, they gave up a haul for a quarterback that they don't even know if it's going to work out. That's the crazy thing. That's why I don't think anyone's going to move up that far to get a quarterback this year or at least give up a ton of capital because who's moving up to get Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, who you have no idea if they're going to work out long-term. It's right. not like we're talking about a Trevor Lawrence here, who even a Trey Lance, who I think is a, was a much better, much, much safer prospect than Malik Willis was. So um, it, I, it, to any team moving to the quarterback, it's Carolina going from six to two. Right. I mean, the next team's probably nine at Seattle or 11 um, with the commanders, but even then yeah. they aren't, really too sold on this quarterback class, but picks are only being valued more and more 
each year. So it's going to take more and more to move up and teams are going to have less leverage to try and trade up and get the guy they want. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I'm Seattle, I'm, I'm punting on this season. I would, I mean, hell I'd move back from nine and I would get draft picks for next year and get all, load up all my picks, lit up, all, lay up, all, load up all my picks right now. That way, if I don't suck next year and I don't have a top three pick, I can go get a top three pick and pick Bryce, CJ, or whoever QB three ends up next year in a, what should be a loaded QB class. So that's what I'd be doing. If I, same thing with Washington, although they're committed to Wentz, unfortunately for them, I don't really care. But fortunately for them, they're committed to Wentz. Um, At least for this year. Yeah. Another another sneaky spot for Carolina to move up before we kind of move on to the next NFL news. Carolina, I can see them going up to four. New York, the New York Jets have been rumored to be shopping their pick. And I don't know if, if say, an edge – Two, two edges go to the top with Hutchinson, Thibodeau, and say Walker goes three or whoever goes three. I don't know if the Jets would be super like upset to move down two picks and have a team right. get ahead of New York at five. You know what I'm saying? Like the Giants at five. Um, you only you only you're only going up two picks. It wouldn't cost a ton of capital. Probably your second rounder, which is probably worth trying to get a quarterback. So. Uh, if if they hear if they get some if there's some wind or some smoke around maybe the Giants moving back from five with a team going up to get a with a pick haul going to get a quarterback ahead of Carolina, I could see them going up to four with with, with the Jets potentially too. I agree. Yeah, there'd definitely be a lot of shakeup in the top ten. Um, the Lions yeah. GM Brad Holmes has also taken a couple of calls from teams uh, interested in that number two overall pick. So, yeah. Um, in a few weeks, we could definitely see very different boards than we see right now i hope um, we do mock drafts are getting a little a little stale i won't lie yeah you're sitting there doing them getting a little stale with the same stuff at the top i wouldn't mind a little shake up here maybe incorporate a shake up ourselves who knows we'll see we might yeah but that's pretty much it in terms of draft prospects draft picks um this morning it was announced that head coach of the tampa bay bucks bruce arians is retiring from coaching and he chose the defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, to replace him. And Bowles signed a five-year contract today as the team's new head coach. Uh, Arians will now move up to the front office and hold a position there. And he will also be inducted into the Bucks' ring of honor at some point in the coming season. Yeah, I think really smart, really smart strategic move from Arians. Very forward-thinking for the franchise's sake. I think he put out a, he put out a quote that said, uh, kind of right after the news broke that, you know, we're in a really good spot. Tom's back. I would rather leave the franchise in good hands with Todd and give Todd Bowles an opportunity to be a head coach for a good team rather than have to go take an opening with a terrible team. Right. Like say when the Lions open up, if they open up in a couple of years, that job sucks. You know what I mean? Like that Carolina's Carolina's going to suck as, as a head coaching spot because it's just you're not going to be equipped with a lot, especially if they move capital to the quarterback. They have no capital in the future, and you'd be stuck with a guy you may not like. So I think really, really, really smart move for him in terms of the franchise's sake. I think it's cool that he did that. Um, I also think he him moving to the front office, he still gets some say over the team. Probably still going to have some offensive pull, I would assume. Yeah. Sounds like Leftwich is going to be calling plays, but um, I think it was smart. Uh, smart move from them, smart move for the franchise to, to green light it and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of my, my overall thoughts on it. Yeah, they're also promoting a couple defensive coaches to become like the co defensive coordinators. So, it was, a, it was the linebackers coach, right? I believe, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember definitely his name. Be I think it was LB's coach. 
for Bowles' development early Absolutely. on. Um, yeah, but like you said, Tom coming back kind of sparked Arian's interest to hand it over to Bowles. wonder what would happen, though, if Brady didn't return. Um, I assume Arians would still be coaching this upcoming season, but it'd be interesting to see how they go about that. Yeah, I mean, there was a return. Yeah, there's a report that basically like Tom found out Arians is retiring like the day of or the day after he unre- after after he unretired and came back. I assume Arians was mulling over it. I don't know if he pulls the trigger with Tom not there. Honestly, I don't know. Um, we'll never get another answer to that question. I would doubt Arians ever tells anybody right. or makes it public. Um, but yeah, kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, we'll see if he lasts as long in retirement as Tom did. Maybe he maybe he comes back and. And he's like a co-head. He's like an associate coach or whatever. We'll see. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, be interesting. Um, but I think I think he'll stay busy. He'll be fine. I mean, Tom came back because he didn't want to be done playing football. Arians still gonna be on the team, so I think he'll I think he'll be fine. I agree. In terms of signings, uh, kind of in the phase two of free agency, not quite as much happening. Still, some big name free agents out there with Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Treader, Keem Hicks. Tyron Matthew, all guys that could get signed here in the coming days. But today we had a big signing from one of those guys. Uh, it was eight-time All-Pro linebacker Bobby Wagner. He signed a five-year, $50 million deal. can be worth up to $65 million with the Los Angeles Rams. Um, they're looking to restructure Aaron Donald's contract. I assume that was to fit Bobby Wagner's contract, um, who, which is a lot longer and a lot bigger than I think most people – saw coming uh, he was seeking a one-year 11 million dollar deal and he gets five years with an average value of 10 up to 13 per year which is crazy for someone that's 32 um, I know it was between the Rams and the Ravens after seeing this deal I'm not too upset that the Ravens didn't land him I don't know exactly the contract breakdowns if there are any void years or I'm, I assume it's backloaded but definitely a contract that I wouldn't want to have for a guy that's getting up there in age. I wanted him maybe on a two-year deal, maybe around eight a year, but I didn't want to go more than eight a year for him. Nonetheless, he's an eight-time All-Pro, maybe the best top 10 tackler ever. And that's something that any team could use in the middle of their defense. So definitely a big pickup for the defending champs. And be looking forward to see how that pans out for him with having him in there with, Floyd, Donald, Ramsey, seeing how they do in the year following that title. Yeah, I can't. I I was just looking while you while you were talking about that contract. Um, yeah, five years, fifty million, up to sixty five with incentives. I would assume it's going to be more like a three year deal with guarantees. Right. There's no guaranteed number right now. I think they may be ironing that out potentially. There's been no official release something from the Rams yet, so that's probably getting worked on I'd be shocked if it was if it was guaranteed money for more than four years um it'd be maybe shot he's he'd be, he'd be a, he's 31 right now turns 32 in June he'll play the season at 32 I mean how much longer does he have I mean granted he's a great player he's still very good but I don't know how much longer three. he has and I probably think three years probably three I was thinking between two to three years at a high level um so it's just I was shocked by terms of that deal at five years, especially for, for 50 million up to basically up to basically 65 with incentives is, is crazy to me. Um, not a deal I would have wanted to sign if I was a, if I was a Rams fan, 
I'm glad the Chargers weren't in on it, even though I know they wouldn't be. Um, but, yeah, the Rams really just turned that salary cap off in franchise mode, huh? They're really just mm-hmm. doing – I mean, they just – I think they just re-signed Aaron Donalds. They probably made some some cap room, some cap room, cap space or room under their caps, uh, cap hit for Aaron, Don- Aaron Donald, for Bobby Wagner with that Aaron Donald. I guess technically it's going to be a restructure with, with added years. Right. So it's probably what they did there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, crazy. Something I didn't expect. I figured I thought he'd be a Ram from the get-go. Uh, yeah. But I didn't think he'd be for this long or this much money. So, um, yeah, kind of surprising. Interesting to see how this how this market turns out for Gilmore now because similar player, former defensive player of the year, multi, multi-time all-pro guy who's – not old, but not young by any means. Um, be curious to see what he gets now. I wonder if his market kind of jumps back up because of this um, and where he lands. Because I don't know if the Chiefs, Chiefs are like the number one team that are on him right now, but they're not going to get him if his, if his money's going to be like what J.C. got, like what J.C. Jackson got. They have nobody paying Stephon Gilmore that, especially not the Chiefs. So be curious to see what his market ends up at. Same with Tyron Matthew, an older guy. Yep. Um, I think this this Bobby Wagner deal is going to be huge for those older free agents. Um Guys get cut because teams are rebuilding and, and can't spend the money, or you know, teams just can't afford to keep them. It'd be interesting to see what their market looks like now. I agree. Yeah, I was just going to mention Tyron Matthew. I feel like Bobby Wagner probably kind of kicked off the second wave, and we should have a few more signings here in the next week or so. Um, I hope so. It'll be interesting so. to see what the contracts look like, what the breakdowns are uh, for these older guys. Same with Akeem Hicks, aging guy who still solid presence in the middle of that front seven, but a guy that could even him uh, get more money in a contract, maybe that's longer and has that guarantee that he wants. Um, but another news in terms of aging players on defense, Patrick Pierce in the longtime Arizona Cardinal Minnesota Viking this past season yesterday announced on his social media that he was re-signing with the Vikings on another one-year deal last year. He played on a one-year deal with them. This year, one-year deal, but for a little less money, uh, four million, three and a half, I believe, is guaranteed, and can get another uh, mill with incentives, I believe. So, not a bad pickup. A solid veteran presence you can always have in your locker room, regardless of his production on the field. And you assume they probably bring in a couple rookie defensive backs um, that can kind of learn under him. So, a big signing for them, I think, that's kind of been underlooked is his veteran leadership for this year, while they bring in a couple of rookies. I was going to say on that. It, it, for Jeff Gladney being a guy who they picked what two years ago in the first round, who yeah. not that he's been bad, it's just he's developing. I think corners are hard, a hard adjustment for guys to make going to the league. Um, should be huge for his development too. I think, I think like you said, having a guy like Pat Pete, who was arguably the best corner in the league for a long time, a guy who was just the definition of a shutdown corner. Nobody threw at the guy. Uh, I think it really helps young corners and young defensive backs. I could see him shifting more to a safety role potentially, or maybe like a slot role. Um, maybe up against tight ends, guys who are a little bit slower, but he can still keep up with them and be physical. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of star corners move to safety as they get older. So, I mean, Charles Woodson did it. He was a great safety when he got older. So, I think I, we, I could see that move for Pat Pete here, kind of slotting at safety maybe, depending what they do with the draft. If, say, Sauce or Stingley's there at 12 for him, um, I could see him – Drafting that guy, one of those guys, and then Pat Pete going to safety or vice versa. If Hamilton's there at 12, they draft Hamilton, and maybe Pat Pete plays in the slot or um, maybe like a, like a dime or a nickel roll, something like that for him I think could be ideal. Uh, 
but yeah, really good veteran presence in the locker room. Something that doesn't get ta- doesn't get talked about enough. Um, like you said, is is the the presence of veterans in the locker room is huge. Um, kind of another thing we were talking about Hakeem Hicks. I think Fangio has not signed anywhere yet to be a coach. It wouldn't shock me if Hakeem Hicks makes his decision based on that. Guy he played under in Chicago, um, knows the scheme really well. He had his he had a great he probably had his best season as of late in that scheme with Fangio in 2018. So it wouldn't shock me to see him follow Fangio wherever he goes. He's turned he's had a bunch of DC offers he's turned down. So just kind of a nugget of information I thought I'd throw out there. I just I just checked on that when you were talking about Akeem Hicks. It made me think, where's Vic Fangio? I don't think he'd landed yet. And he hadn't. So um could be could see a guy go go land there with him. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um players a lot of the times like being paired with coaches that they've had success with just safer bet on them, which leads to bigger contracts, obviously. Um, so something players want to do most of the time. Uh, but that's pretty much it. A lighter episode this week for y'all. Can you think of anything else that we haven't touched on or that we missed? I don't think so. I mean, I think we, again, it's kind of a light week. College baseball is the biggest thing I think for today, which never really happens for us. Um, kind of a dead period in most sports. I think NFL is kind of slow. MLB is kind of slow with opening weekend next weekend. Um, NBA just kind of, we're getting down to the nitty gritty, getting playoff seating down. So not a ton to talk about, but um, should be a loaded mock draft Monday on Monday. Should be a really big episode on Thursday. Talking about opening day for baseball. Probably have a couple more predictions for you. Maybe some, probably some MVP, Cy Young, uh, Rookie of the Year, maybe that kind of stuff uh, as we get into, as we get closer to opening day. They'll come out on opening day. So probably give some predictions there. Maybe a little, maybe like a little division prediction too. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else, but uh, I'll echo what Brett, what Brett always says is we really appreciate you guys following and listening. Uh, we love doing this and it's something kind of an escape for us. I think at least for me, uh, you know, we've got a lot going on. Definitely. So this is kind of a nice way to escape and, Kind of get your mind off stuff for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you guys keep supporting. Uh, leave us a rating wherever you listen, that kind of thing. Uh, and I'll let Brett kind of give any any closing thoughts that he has as well. Yeah, uh, you pretty much said it the same way I will. Give us a follow on Twitter or Instagram, Cold Seat Podcast. Uh, love all the support. Keeps us going. Gets, gets us, us excited to drop these episodes every Thursday and Monday as well for the time being. Um, Yeah. So make sure you make sure to tune in twice a week and we'll see y'all for the fourth edition of mock draft Monday here in a few days. And if you guys have anything you you guys want to see on the pod or here on the pod, let us know and we'll get it in for sure. Yep. Definitely. Well, we'll see you guys on Monday.